to study the scripture? Yes. Get your Bibles and turn to Colossians. Colossians chapter 2, that's where we'll begin today. As you know, we're in a series called Roots, A Journey Through Colossians. And uh, this has been a, a really a, a fantastic series so far. We're talking about Jesus a lot, which is really amazing. I talked about him last week and his supremacy, how he is over all and in all and through all. And that we need to see him like that, not have a small view of Jesus, but a large view of who he is. Because, indeed, the, the thing that happens is it determines how we act. It determines what kind of, um, what kind of life we lead. And uh, this is really the, the dynamic of Colossians. It's a letter written to the little city of Colossae, which is about 100 miles inland from Ephesus in uh, what is now known as modern-day Turkey. And uh, so it, it, was a, it was a city of not much consequence, but the Apostle Paul was writing to these believers because he was concerned about them. And he was interested in their well-being spiritually. And so we're going to start, we're going to just dive right in and we're going to start reading in chapter 2 of this letter and see what the Apostle Paul has to say to these believers, all right? So Father, would you give us revelation from your word? Give us insight. Let it shine a light on our path. Lord, help us to see who you are within the scriptures, and then lead us and guide us, give us the grace that we need to, uh, to be able to apply the revelation. We receive this, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. So here we start in verse 1 of chapter 2. It says, I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea. He was writing to the city of Colossae, but he also wanted it read to a neighboring town of Laodicea. And he wanted them to know how much he is struggling, how much he is wrestling for them in prayer and in his desire for them to succeed as believers. Let me just tell you that every person needs somebody who will struggle for them. Everybody needs somebody who will wrestle in prayer over them. For me, it was grandparents and parents and others who, along the way, who have prayed for me and, and wrestled and struggled uh, with me. Some of them struggled directly with me as, I was, as we were working out salvation with fear and trembling. But there is, there is a need for all of us to have people. If you don't have people who are struggling for you, thinking about you, praying for you, then you are too isolated you are too lonely in the body of Christ. You need people in your life who will wrestle for you in prayer, who will walk with you, who will think about you, and who will be with you on this journey. Every one of us needs it. Paul the Apostle hasn't even met these people, and he's praying for them, and he's struggling with them. This is his calling, he says in verse 2. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love. He wants them to be totally encouraged. This is what I want for you, by the way. As your pastor, I want you to be encouraged in your heart. I don't want you to live life discouraged, disconnected, upset all the time, frustrated. I want you to be encouraged, and I want us to be united in love as a community so that they may have the full riches, Paul says. Everybody say riches. Riches. Riches, not money, but riches of what my version says, 
of complete understanding. Complete understanding. What is, what is he saying here? When we read complete understanding, what we typically start thinking of is, yes, I want to understand everything. I want to be brilliant. I want to get everything. I want to have everything figured out. I want to have complete understanding. You find people that are obsessed with their own intellectual capacities. You ever met anybody like that? People who are a little more impressed with their own opinion than they should be. I, I think there are people like this. We find, them, we find them outside the church and we find them inside the church. People are the same everywhere. It's just some of them are being redeemed. And so, and so as, as we're being redeemed, Paul is saying, I want you to have complete understanding. But what does he say he wants them to have complete understanding of? Complete understanding in order that may, they may know the mystery. mystery. Wait, I want, I want you to have complete understanding so you'll know the mystery. There's a mystery here. In verse, or chapter 1, if you go back to 27, maybe 26, he says, the mystery in chapter 1, verse 26, he says, The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. The mystery. At the end of uh, verse 27, he says, The mystery which is in Christ, which is, sorry, is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is Christ in us, the, the hope that there is something greater beyond us, larger than us. The hope that there is something more than what my little brain can come up with. Your little brain. My big brain. No, all of us, in comparison, complete understanding of what? The mystery of Christ. The mystery of God. Namely, he says, Christ. I want you to figure out who Christ is. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The mystery of Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And I'm telling you this so that you, no one can deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. There had been some discussion within this community, most likely. Paul was aware of it. He had heard uh, about their progress from Epaphras, who was a, f a fellow ministry partner, and uh, pr most likely the person who had started the church, and he'd heard about them. And so there's this discussion going on, and people talking about fine-sounding arguments and philosophies. Here's how Paul describes it in verse 5. For though I am absent from you in the body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how orderly or disciplined, would be a better word maybe to say there, how discipled you are and how firm your faith is in Christ. How firm your faith is in Christ. And then we get to the keystone scripture of Colossians that we've been using, which is verse 6 and 7. Read it with me. So then just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord... Continue to live in him. Everybody say, in him. in him. This is a phrase that is all throughout Colossians. It's the phrase, in him or in Christ. Everybody say, in Christ. In Christ, in Christ is the description that Paul is giving that he wants all of the people that are in this body of believers to be rooted in he wants their roots in Christ. He wants them strengthened in Christ. He wants them built up 
in Christ. And that's what he says here in verse 7. He says, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. It's interesting, there's four ideas here that he says right after he talks about being in him. He says being rooted, he says being built up, built in him, built up in him and strengthened in the faith. If you look carefully at the way the grammar is um, constructed, what you'll find is there's a passive voice description of these three things, almost as if they have happened. They have happened and are happening, and in a sense sort of implying that God has done something. God has, Christ himself has become rooted in them. They are becoming rooted in him, that they are being built up in him, and that their faith is being strengthened. Christ is the one who strengthens our faith. Our faith is strengthened, and then we believe in greater measure. God starts that process in us. Sometimes we think it's about what we can do. Sometimes we think it's about what we can accomplish, how, how much we can get our roots down. The Apostle Paul really isn't talking like this in this letter. He is describing a mystery. And the mystery is how we are in Christ. You're rooted, you're built up, you're strengthened in him, but then the, the last piece of this phrase right here, the last little sent, piece of the sentence is overflowing with thanksgiving. And this is an active voice. It's like a, this is your responsibility. This is the thing that you do. God does the other stuff and then you overflow with thanksgiving. Do you know, I've met a lot of Christians who are not overflowing in thanksgiving. <laughs> Why do you think that is? Could it be that they're not as rooted as they need to be? Sure. I almost think, though, it's a sense of they have, they have become shallow in their own journey. They once put the, their roots in Christ, but then they didn't grow down. They weren't built up, and they, their, their faith has not been allowed to be strengthened because what he says here, he says, uh, in verse 6, he says, So just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. There's a continuance that goes on and how we trust in him, how we see ourselves in him. And it is a bit of a mystery. So we've read about the mystery. We've read about the treasure, the knowledge of wisdom. And then he finishes We'll just read 10 verses here today. He says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. Philosophy was probably a, a larger picture in their culture uh, than we think of it today. It probably included some supernatural spiritual components, and, and it was certainly the, the ideas of the day, and it had philo philosophical underpinnings and concepts. But he says, I don't want you to listen to, to hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. He's saying what we're, what we're into here in following Christ is not about human tradition. It's not about what has been done. It's about what is being done right now in Christ. And then he says, I don't want you to get hung up on the principles of this world or the elementary elements of this world. I don't want you to 
To be consumed in the created stuff, I want you to be consumed in the creator. So he's saying, don't, don't adhere to the philosophies that deal with what's here. Find your mystery, purpose, treasure, wisdom, strength, peace, hope, grace, truth in Christ. What he says next is what makes it all so profound. Because he says, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. In other words, in Christ, he's the defining person. He helps us see who God is. Last week, we, we, we asked the question, what if God took a selfie? And the picture of God is Christ himself. And we talked about all that. You can go back and listen to that online if you want to. Here he says, in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. So the man who's got all the power and all the authority is where you get all the completeness and fullness that you need to live as a human. In fact, God designed every one of us to live the same kind of life that Jesus lived. The way we become truly human in our human experience and we live in the fullness of what God designed is by tapping in to the fullness of God that is in Christ. So in, in, a, in a way, what, what Paul is saying here is you are totally complete. You have everything you need. You, you're, you're not lacking anything. There's, n there's nothing else that you need. Nothing else that you need to learn. Nothing else that you need to do Nothing else that you have to accomplish if you will be in Christ. If you'll be in Him. Now, in our modern education-driven enlightenment culture, we have a hard time with this. It's a, there's a, and there's three things I want to highlight in this passage for you that I want you just to think about. I want you to evaluate for your own self. Three realms of living in Christ. What does it look like? Here's how I think Paul is describing it. If you want to take notes, just take them there on your uh, worship guide that you got when you came in. The first thing I want you to see is that Paul is saying that the mystery of all the ages is in Christ. The mystery of Christ I feel like we live in a culture that wants to drain all the mystery out of everything. You know you can figure out how to do anything by going to Google and looking it up. We, you, I mean, you can figure out how to do anything. I mean, you can change your brakes. You can build a bomb. You can do anything. I mean, it, it, you, you can learn how to deal with a sick child. I mean, sick child, you could, the doctors hate it, by the way, when you're always looking up stuff all over the place. It makes you a bunch of hypochondriacs and freaks. But we have found, instead of seeking the great mystery of Christ... We're kind of, we, we don't need God, we just, because we have Google. <laughs> we can figure out every mystery. There's something here that Paul is saying about the mystery of Christ as opposed to hollow and deceptive teachings. 
Some of those teachings were most likely from Jewish people who said, and, and the, the scripture calls them Judaizers in other places because they took the teachings of Christ and then they added the law and all the demands of the law and they were probably wrestling through this. And Paul was trying to say, look, it's, it, it's not about fulfilling all the law. Jesus did that for you and you have to find your place in him. You have to trust him. You have to believe in him. You have to surrender to him. And then what happens is the law the righteous requirements of the law begin to be met in Christ. Does that mean you can do whatever you want to and you don't have to obey the law? No, but the way you obey the law is through Christ. The way he gives you the strength to do it. But I find in our current society, discipleship always looks like information. The more info I can get, the better, I will, better Christian I will be. If I can increase my knowledge and my understanding uh, about what the Bible says, I will, I'll really get it. But this is not the case. Consider John 5.39. John 5.39, you can just write it down. It's, it's Jesus, and he's talking to the Pharisees, and he says, you think that by studying the scriptures, you can receive eternal life. But the scriptures point to me, and yet you refuse to come to me to have life. What he was saying is, is that there's a mystery that's deeper than all the stuff you can learn. I want to challenge you today to think instead of trying to come up with correct doctrine, there's a movement within our American culture anyway to use doctrine as the mechanism of knowing God. Right? There's, a, there's like a, a, the more doctrine you know, then the better you'll know God. I'm not sure that's true because I know a lot of people who talk about a lot of doctrine and they're not close <laughs> to becoming like Jesus. In fact, they sometimes become meaner, more forceful, more irritated, more burdensome. Doctrine is not the, the, the knowledge of Christ. Knowing Christ has a whole different uh, dynamic. If you think about the first, there's, there's some first stories in the Bible in Genesis, all right? One of those first stories is about two trees. What are those two trees? Can you remember them? One is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? What is that? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's a, it, it's, it, in some way, it is a story about absorbing knowledge as your primary way of living. And the knowledge of good and evil, what, what, what God told Adam and Eve is, your eyes will be opened. Right? And, and, and there will be, oh, that's what the devil told them. He, the devil told them, devil told Eve, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God. He used the desire to be like God to tempt them to do something God said don't do. Are you tracking with me? Their desire to be like God was what the devil tempted them with. And so their eyes were opened, but it destroyed them. Because here's the truth. It's not just the knowledge of evil that will kill you. It's the knowledge of good, too. It'll kill you. You get too obsessed in it, too absorbed in all that stuff. But the alternative was what? The tree of life. The tree of life. So he forbid them to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but he said, I want you to eat from the tree of life. There in that little story projects across the, the landscape of the biblical narrative the point God keeps trying to make 
over and over and over again. And that's why Jesus is called the bread of life. The way, the truth, and the life. The bread that comes down from heaven. Jesus is the life that God wants for us. And this is what makes it so mysterious. We, we want to drain mystery out of everything. But here's the thing. I think mystery leads us to faith. Mystery, the myst, a mysterious relationship with Christ that we don't quite, we're, 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 we're trying to figure out, we're finding ourselves in him. There's a journey here. There's an ex, expression of love and, and relationship that's happening and we're, we're discovering it a little bit at a time. That's what Paul is encouraging these Colossian believers to do. Do we, do we read the Bible along the way? Sure we do. Sure we read the Bible. It's a, it's, a, it's a story, a narrative, it's, it's this, God's interaction. These words are alive and powerful by the Spirit. But the thing is, we become, we come to know Christ, not just by reading the Scriptures, but by developing a relationship with Him. Look at, this is crazy, look at 1 Timothy 3.16. Look at what... Look what, look what Paul said to Timothy. He said, beyond all question, I'll just read it uh, from the screen. Beyond all question, the mystery from tr which true godliness springs is great. All right, stop right there. Stop right there. Just read that first line. The mystery from which true godliness springs is great. How do people get godly? Oh, they do the right thing. Uh, uh, uh. The way you get godly is by your life becoming intertwined, intermingled, finding yourself defined in Christ. Finding yourself and your identity in Christ. Look what he says. He says, the mystery from which true godly springs is great. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the Word, and was taken up into glory. The way the true godliness comes is through your relationship with Christ. True godliness doesn't come from doing the right things. It comes from knowing Jesus. This is what, this is what Paul is saying. Now, let me give you a, a practical example. When I first met my beautiful wife, Amy, right, I met her and I discovered her in college. And there was, I discovered her. I, I, I didn't know her. I mean, I didn't know her. And then I saw her. And then... Something happened to me. I was smitten. I was taken. I was suddenly upset in my stomach. I had weird the, the, the dynamics. And, and, I, and here's the thing. There was a mystery there. Because I didn't know her. And I wanted to know her. I wanted to know her bad. I wanted to know everything about her. I wanted to know what she thought. I wanted to, I, I spent endless hours in our courtship on the phone wanting to know more things about her. I wanted to know everything that there was. The mystery of who she was was so obsessive to me that I wanted, I just had to know more. Mystery can create the relationship. But then, something weird happened. We, we, fell, we fell in love. 
And that love has sustained us over many, many years. And in those many years, we have faced challenges and trials and struggles and frustrations. We've faced a lot of pain. We've interacted on, around a lot of issues and struggled with our kids and experienced the joys of, of five children being birthed into our family and, and the hard work that comes after. And we've, as we've done that and we've walked together, I love her now more than ever. And there's a mystery to that. Because what's happened to me is I'm still living in mystery. Every once in a while she'll say something or she'll articulate an idea or she'll say, I like this or I like, or I don't really care for that. And I'll be like, what? This, that's crazy. How did, how did I not know that after 21 and a half years? 23 years of living together. But the, but the fabric of our lives has created a relationship that leads to even more mystery. And that mystery is deeply satisfying. Satisfying in a, in a different way than a person that you don't know. And I think this is similar in the way that Paul is articulating Christ. Mystery of who he is begins the relationship. But as you go further in the relationship, you want to know more and you desire the kind of love and the kind of security. And people, people have a hard time explaining a secure marriage that's full of love that grows deeper and deeper as it goes on. They have trouble describing it, especially to a group of people that haven't experienced it or haven't seen it, which is our culture. Why do they have trouble describing it? Because it's a bit of a mystery. How do you get to know a person deeper and deeper and yet still want to know them? How do you get to know a person more deeply and then in the reality is you, you appreciate them more than you can even sort of describe? Creates a, a, a loving relationship that is so bonding you never want to leave it or break it or ruin it or do anything foolish to it. This is the kind of relationship we're talking about with Christ. This is the kind of relationship, the hunger that, that begins to be in you in the mystery of Christ that feeds the hunger and causes you to want more of him, not less. The kind of hunger that causes you to want to know all, that causes you to want to read this Bible so that, so that there is a, a, an intimate knowledge and relationship that is built. So this mystery, I think, is something that, that we have to make our peace with. And the problem with part of our culture is we, we tend to want certainty instead of mystery. <laughs> we want certainty in our relationships, not risk. If mystery leads us to faith, then certainty most likely leads us to some kind of pride or arrogance. Pride or arrogance in this way, and it cuts both ways. It's either I'm sure of what's going to happen and I know I can figure it out. I got it figured out. I know I don't need Jesus. I don't need, I don't need your opinion. I don't need your input. I got it figured out because this is what I'm going to do and this is the way the world works and I know this from my experience and I know exactly how it's all going to unfold. That actually leads to a certain amount of arrogance 
Or the flip side is, I want to know with certainty what's going to happen in my life, so I keep control. <laughs> and, and I'm afraid of what's going to happen to my life if I give it to Jesus or if I give it to anybody else. And so I try to control it, and therefore the underbelly of pride emerges. Self-absorption. I'm absorbed with myself. When you discover Christ and the mystery of Christ, I think there's a faith that begins to stir up in you that causes you to be hungry for him. The second thing I want you to think about is the treasure that is in Christ. The treasure that is in Christ. A treasure that causes you to focus and fixate on him without distraction. If there's one thing to describe our culture and the culture we live in, trying to focus our attention, <laughs> it would be distracted. Social media has not helped in this regard. Uh, television, uh, entertainment, uh, all, all kinds of things work so demanding. The distractions are immense. But here's the thing. I want you to think about being a treasure hunter or a naysayer. You ever watch treasure hunting movies? You ever, you know, like, you ever read a book like Treasure Island? You ever, I mean, what's the, what's the, what's the movie that has the trilogy? Uh, yeah, you could do National Treasure, you could do uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. All great stories are made of treasure. And there's two people in, in the stories of treasure. Ready? Whoever has the map, right? The people that have the map are the ones who are willing to risk anything do anything. They're crazy. They're obsessed. They'll face any danger. They'll do anything to get their hands on their treasure. Yeah. Yeah. Lord of the Rings. My precious. There is something that comes over a person. And so there's two groups of people. Those people who were willing to do anything. And then there are people who say, that, that map is ridiculous. There's no treasure there. You're crazy. That doesn't work. That, that, that treasure's long gone. It's, you're never going to find it. Don't even waste your time on that map. Don't even spend your time looking at it because it's not going to lead you to the treasure. Hey, Jesus is not the map to the treasure. Jesus is the treasure. Okay. That's what Paul says here. He's saying, he's saying, look, the treasure, I want you to have complete understanding, namely Christ, the mystery, namely Christ, in whom are all the treasures? All the treasures. If you could imagine yourself as a treasure hunter that would be willing to do anything and give up anything to find the greatest treasure in the world, that's what the description of being a disciple is. Becoming a disciple means you've given up everything for the pursuit of him. Being willing to find him and to be, for your life to be defined, Jesus spoke of this. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, he says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought the field. So a guy goes to a big field and he finds a treasure. And he, look, and he finds it and here's what happens. And he puts it back. And then he runs and he buys the whole field <laughs> so that no one can find it. He does far beyond what he had to. He could have just like 
gotten the treasure and removed it from the field. But here Jesus is saying there's something more even that he does. He's willing to pay any amount to, to make sure that he, he has possession of the treasure. And that possession has to do with the, the land that it was found on. Verse 45, he says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. The pearl of great price. The problem is we spend all our time searching for other treasures besides Christ. Less valuable treasures. And I think what Paul is saying is, if you will get that Christ, in Christ, is all the treasures of the universe, all wisdom and knowledge, all understanding within this mystery relationship with Christ, I mean, it is a mystery, right? The Son of God hung on a cross, blood spilled out from his human body, dead, buried, rising again by the power of God. I mean, that story sounds crazy. <laughs> so crazy, it just might work. There. There is something here that we have to make our peace with in living in this mystery relationship with Christ. Not that he doesn't want to make himself known, but that he does make himself known, and then we desire more. One more thing about this mystery thing. We tend to want to put our faith in an outcome rather than a person. We tend to confuse the treasure of Christ with a treasure that we're seeking and then we want Christ to lead us to the treasure we're seeking. So in effect, we use Christ as the treasure map when he wants to be the treasure. We can't put faith in an outcome. You have to put faith in a person. Mark 8.36, you know what it says? It says, what good is it if a man gains the whole world and yet loses his own soul? The third thing I want you to see is that Paul says that the mystery of Christ has all wisdom. Wisdom, the wisdom of, of, of the ages is in Christ. And this is the guard against deception that Paul is talking about. Hollow human traditions versus a flesh and blood picture of God and a relationship with Christ by the Spirit and understanding that the fullness and completeness of all that we need is found in Christ. Wisdom was the philosophy of the day. There was a lot of talk about wisdom in Colossae and other cities that Paul was writing to. Wisdom was the big pursuit of the Gentiles so there's tons written on it and discussed. In addition, the Jewish people always had wisdom as a, a centerpiece. Uh, everything from Proverbs to the way Solomon was the wisest man. All these stories, all these stories created a, a fabric of wisdom and it was worthy of pursuit. There's a lot of discussion. Paul knows exactly what he's doing when he goes and hits this idea of wisdom. He's saying, I don't care what you think you know, Jesus is where all wisdom resides. 
All wisdom comes from him. So if you go to 1 Corinthians, this is the final scripture we'll use, 1 Corinthians, and you'll see Paul talking to the Corinthian church about this concept. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. All right, I'm, I'm going I'm to read it to you in verse 18. We'll start in verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness. Everybody say foolishness. foolishness. You know who it's foolish to? You know who the message of the cross is foolish to? People who are perishing, people who are dying. It's like, it's like people drowning in, in, in a, one of those life preservers are being thrown to them and they're like, that's crazy. You think I'm going to grab onto that? That's dumb. foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Why does he say that? The intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. <laughs> am I, okay, am I arguing? Pastor Ross, are you arguing that we should be dumb? We should be stupid Christians? That we shouldn't engage our intellect? Absolutely not. I am not arguing that. I think we have to learn and grow and study and we have to be able to be articulate and we have to talk about these concepts with others. But the secret to godliness and the secret to authority and the secret to having wisdom beyond our own intellect is only found in Christ. Is only found in a relationship and a, a willingness to follow him, to surrender everything Oh, wait a minute, but I don't know if I can follow him because I'm not sure what the outcome will be. Well, you're not going to get the wisdom that you need. If you're unwilling to follow him and you need everything worked out and everything perfectly planned, that's not the, that's not the life of a Christian. The life of a Christian is complete trust and dependence and reliance on Jesus to lead wherever he wants to go. And in that, you will find all the wisdom you need. In that, you will find all the treasure you need. In that, you will find all of the mysteries of the universe unpacked, shown to you, demonstrated to you. I'm talking about a relationship with God that happens in Christ. Here's what he says. He was saying this he was quoting Isaiah when he says, destroy the wisdom of the wise and the intelligence of the intelligent. I will frustrate. He was talking about his own people. He was talking about the Jewish people and how they argue with each other all the time about what's right and what's wrong. And they were arguing and arguing and arguing and the Messiah comes and they don't even recognize it. They have the, all the scriptures available to them. They've memorized them. They've seen them. And yet they do not see the work of God when it happens in front of their eyes. He says, I'm going to frustrate all their wisdom. All the things they think they know, I'm going to frustrate it because I'm going to do it in a different way. So then he says, where's the wise person? Where's the teacher of the law? Where's the philosopher of this age? Has God made, the, made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, the Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. If you want to get smarter, find your life in Christ. Because you'll get, you'll tap into wisdom that you couldn't create on your own. Uh, 
<laughs> I remember, I shouldn't even stop here and talk about this, but I'm going to because it's a 1230 service. I remember talking to a lady one time and she said, well, we don't need to read any books then. Because if we just pray in the Holy Spirit, then he'll give us the answers to everything. And we can, if, if, and she used this example, if an air conditioner is broken, we just ask Jesus and he helps us fix it. Now, do you think that would work? It might work. Does, do you think Jesus knows how the air conditioner works? <laughs> That's kind of crazy. Really? Okay, but what she was saying was she was undoing the stewardship of living in a culture that appreciates helping them discover who he is. So I think we need to read books. Our mind is a stewardship issue. Our, we need to discover things. The issue is you can't get godliness from reading books. You can't get holiness from reading books. You can't even really have a relationship with God from reading books. You have a relationship by interacting, by talking, by listening, by hearing, by waiting. Oh, the years that I've waited in the car for my wife. The years that she has waited in the car for me to come out because I'm always the one who's late. There is waiting, there is, interactive, there is interaction, there is a, a fabric that is, begin, begins to be made and built. And it's mysterious how it happens. It's wonderful. This is what I'm suggesting. This is what the Apostle Paul is suggesting, that we have to get, get our, our arms around and our hearts around. And it, it's not just wisdom. It's not just treasure. Look at these other things, and, and, and I'm just going to list them. Just put them up there, Abby. It's, we see yourself in him. Think about how you can see yourself in him this week. Think of it. You have Christ's power. Romans 8, 11. You know, it says, it says the, the power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you and me. We have Christ's love. 1 John 4.12 says that the, no one has ever seen God, but if we, we love each other, then, then God lives in us, and his love is made complete. If you, if you think about it, we have Christ's mind. 1 Corinthians 2.16 says that we, there's so many mysteries that we can't quite figure out, but we have been given the mind of Christ. If you're in Christ, you can, you can figure anything else, anything out. Sometimes the mind of Christ will tell you to wait. Sometimes God, will, sometimes God will ask you to just be patient. And that seems foolish to everybody else. But it is the wisdom of God. We have Christ's truth. John 14, 6 says he's the way, the truth, and life. We have Christ's life. There's so many. We could, we could, we could spend the next 30 minutes talking about the ways that Christ benefits us. Here's all that's required. All that's required is you yield to him and surrender everything, your entire life, and you become identified with him, in him. He surrounds you. He protects you. You live in him. He lives in you. The goal is that there will never be any separation. This is the truth of the mystery of Christ. Close your eyes, bow your heads. I want you to think about what the Holy Spirit might say to you. And if I asked you three questions, just, just think about this for a second. Three questions. 
The first question is, are you willing to live a life of mystery instead of certainty? Are you willing to live a life of mystery and faith in God instead of a life where you figure everything else out first? Because you have to settle that. If you're going to be a Christian, if you're going to be a disciple, it's a, it, is, it is a relationship where you trust Him. The second question is, are you willing to see Him as the treasure and give up everything for Him? Luke 9.23 says, if you want to follow Him, you've got to deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow. See Him as the treasure and give up all to pursue Him. Are you willing to do that? Is that the way you're living your life now? Third question, are you willing to be wise in Christ but appear foolish in the eyes of the world? Because that is what it's going to take. No, I want to look impressive all the time. <laughs> no, I want, I, want, I want to look like I know what's up. Listen, in Christ, you will have everything you need. In Christ, you will have provision beyond your own ability. In Christ, you will have the grace to accomplish anything that he directs you to do. In Christ, you will have wisdom beyond your own intellect. And in Christ, you will have a treasure beyond your wildest dreams. And the only challenge to it, the only challenge is, is believing that that's true so that you surrender to him. So Father, I pray for all of us here in this room because we all struggle with this. I struggle with it. The friends that I know struggle with it. Would you change our perspective, God? Would you help us to be comfortable with mystery? Comfortable with waiting? Comfortable with, with, with just not having it all clearly articulated to us? Would, would you help us to focus our, our hearts towards the greatest treasure that there is, and that is Jesus? Because where our, where, our, where our hearts find their place of, of deep satisfaction is in the treasure of Jesus. Where our treasure is, that's, that's where our heart's going to be. So we want our treasure to be Jesus. Help us. We give up everything. We give up everything to pursue him. And, and, and finally, Lord, we ask you, change our point of view. Help us to see the wisdom of God versus the, the wisdom of the world. Even though things may look foolish to others, help us to be confident, courageous in pursuing Jesus in whom all wisdom resides, all the fullness of God in him and now makes me complete. Lord, help me to believe that that's actually true. Help us to believe that you are doing something in us. And Lord, as a result of it, we say, forgive us for doing our own thing. Forgive me for veering off the path. Forgive me for pursuing treasure that is so quickly fading. Forgive me for, for living my life in pursuit of something other than Jesus. Forgive me, Lord, for missing the point and not continuing to become rooted in the idea that Jesus is 
the solution. The solution to my sin, the solution to my fears, the solution to my frustrations, the solution to my ambition. He is everything. And I pray. I pray that he would take first place. Jesus, I put you in the, in the driver's seat in my life. I put you in the first place again. And I fix my attention on you and I fix my heart be attentive toward you. Thank you for rescuing me. Thank you for helping me see clearly again today. Thank you for helping me think clearly. And thank you for helping me to act as you desire me to act. We choose to follow you. We receive you now. In Jesus' name.